All right. Welcome, welcome to another fabulous episode of My Orgasmic Life. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Gaia Morissette, and um, today's show is brought to you by Tickle.life. Tee-hee-hee. Now, we're going to have a juicy conversation, uh, a painful conversation, and maybe even a triggering conversation. So I want to do a little bit of a content trigger warning before we get into this topic. We're going to dive into exploring um, why women tear each other down, uh, the sister wounds, uh, historically where it comes from, um, the, the stories in which, you know, we've both experienced being on the receiving end of that. We're going to really look honestly into this. And so if you get triggered, I lovingly invite you to lean in with us throughout the whole thing. Um, if you need to take care of yourself, as always, I lovingly invite you to go do what you need to do um, to take care of yourself. Um, but really what's important is that if you are triggered, please don't be reactive and lash out at either one of us. Okay. And after the podcast is done and after the show is done, please reach out to me and we can help work you, help you work through whatever's going on whatever we bring up. Okay, so as always, I never introduce my guests because I'm horrible with names. So I'm going to allow her to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do in the world. Sure. And my neighbor is mowing his lawn. So let me know because I can always shut windows. So if that becomes a background sound that's obnoxious, just give me a heads up and we can pause and I can quick, I'm, they're right there so I can shut my windows. So okay, perfect. that is my quick caveat. But yes. Yeah, so hello, my name is Janelle Marie Pierce and I am a sexual health educator and the executive director of the STI project. It's primarily a website and we focus on awareness, education, and acceptance. And um, that's my niche that I operate in, in the sexual health education space is all STIs all the time, safer sex and um, what it's like to live with an STI. I have genital herpes and um, I've also had scabies and HPV. And so I've had multiple STIs. So I talk about kind of that gray area and um, dating and conversations around it and overcoming stigma and shame. And so there are a lot of intersections that we'll talk about today too, as it relates to people's experiences, women, um, people identify as women and how they treat one another. And a lot of that is related to shame, I believe anyways. So yes, that is my primary purpose in life ultimately is to help people to feel better about their diagnosis and to move past that very shocking and um, triggering diagnosis a lot quicker than I was able to years and years ago. I love it. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. So I was, I got the opportunity to spend time to, we got to spend time together because we did uh, an episode for um, Tickle.Life's podcast, which is the other podcast that I host. And we were diving into your journey around, you know, you getting herpes and what that was all about and what that experience was like for you. And during that process, you were sharing your story, came up around the whole, some pretty crappy friends <laughs> some pretty crappy shit. And that really, it really inspired me to, first of all, you're going to be on the show more than once. We're going to, we'll drop into your expertise, which is STIs in the fall. Um, but today I really want to lean into 
what it feels like to not have support of our fellow women and you know some of those experiences do you want to start with a story do you want me to start with a story oh that's up to you i would love to hear i mean you heard my story already but of course the listeners right now probably haven't so we'll talk about that but i'd love to hear some of your experiences as well so all right so i'll go first then um when I was a teenager. Um, I was slut shamed like there's nobody's business. And this, most of my slut shaming actually came from my fellow uh, teenage girls. <laughs> and there was so much hatred and fear and um, judgment and jealousy of me. So I was a very uh, boisterous as you know everybody all my listeners know right very boisterous and charismatic and I was smoking hot and you know I was very sexual I was a sexual being in the essence of who I was not necessarily sexually active because I was being called a whore and a slut before I'd even actually had any sexual interactions at all um, but there was always this competitiveness around, and I was a tomboy. So I spent a lot of time with boys. So this triggered a lot of things going on um, for my fellow females <laughs> in my circle of that age. But here's two stories that I want to share. Because, I mean, if you've identified as a woman, you've been either on the receiving end or giving or both, right? So when I was, let's see... How old was I? That's not important. I was a teenager. Um, the first thing that my friends used to always do is they would say statements like, oh, I feel like dressing like a slut. Can I borrow your clothes? And these were my best friends. These were like the average. These were like my best female friends, right? That I that were my besties, that I was supposed to be there for each other, support each other. And it was this, this ongoing just judgment, like full on, like, I think you're a whore and I think you're a slut and you dress really slutty, but I want to feel that way. So can I borrow your clothes? Right. So I remember feeling that, that statement. I remember feeling this, I like you bitch, like, why would you say that to me? Right. It's different to say, hey, I want to be sexual. I'm feeling sexy and you always have sexy clothes. Um, you know, that's different. That was not how it was put. And it was put with that way because that's how they actually all saw me. The second story that I want to share is that um, I remember this one weekend where I, with my one of my best friends, I spent all weekend and we had a girls weekend in. And we baked cookies and we had a pajama party and like we were together the whole weekend. We went to school on Monday and next thing you know, by Tuesday, I had had sex with the whole football team. And my friend who I spent the whole weekend with came up to me and she's like, I can't believe you fucked the whole football team. I'm like, oh, when did this happen? On the weekend. I'm like, I was with you all weekend. What was that, my evil twin? I snuck out. When did I have time to fuck the whole football team? But her narrative 
she would rather believe the rumor than the actual reality and the facts that she was living proof that I spent all weekend with her. So how was I going to fuck the whole football team? Man, it's so harmful. And there's so much to unpack in those two stories. The microaggressions that you've experienced, you know, the friends who are calling, you know, oh, I want to dress with your slutty wardrobe. It's so funny you say that because literally today, this morning, you know, Facebook gives you memories from one year ago, two years ago, et cetera. I had a memory and I just posted it, shared it. So, and it's public. So if you find me and you're curious and you want to see this and, uh, Um, And the conversation is still there too, because if you post a memory, you can click on the original post and see what comments were made way back when. So 10 years ago, I had posted a picture of myself. I had just um, dyed my hair brown, a a temporary brown. And so I posted a picture of it. And my friend at the time, she's no longer a friend. I had to cut off that relationship. And this has been ongoing. Luckily, I have an amazing circle of long-term friendships and wonderful women who are supportive around me. So this isn't a sob story, but there has been an ongoing cycle in my life of having to, and it's been very hard learned, and it's taken me a long time to figure this out about some toxic behaviors from women, um, that I've had to cut off these relationships. And this is one example. And I posted this picture and I think it's a pretty picture of myself and um, a good angle, et cetera. And that's of course why I posted it. So I was feeling myself. That's why we post selfies, right? And so she had wrote on it, um, oh my gosh, you look so skinny, you whore. And then I responded in kind of like, you're a great friend and I love you. And like, because I didn't like that she used that language and um, I have some sensitivities to the slut, the whore, um, that trope anyways, because of lots of past experiences. And so I responded in a, in a neutral way. And then she said, oh, because I'm such a good friend and I've been your friend. She was a friend since high school. Um, since I, because I've been your friend, I can call you names. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, that's a microaggression. You can't call me names. And what is that? I mean, obviously that's, that's, that's showcasing and she's projecting the jealousy. And she even says like, I'm so jealous. And you can say that to some extent in a friendly way, but it's like, this was not, this was aggression. And this, and this was a continuous way in which she behaved and treated me. And I've had that throughout my life. And so to hear you talk about that with like a friend, somebody who you thought and loved and your friends who are close to you saying that it's like, no, that's not how friends are supposed to behave. And then like you walk into what does that actually mean? So why is my wardrobe slutty and why is yours not? And where did you get those ideals to begin with around like certain certain attire is, is, is slutty and bad or whatever too sexual. I mean, that of course is its own even subset in this conversation. So there's just so much and the whole sexual behavior too. And like shaming, basically you're damned. If you do, you're damned. If you don't, if you aren't sexually active and engaging and matching what your peers supposedly are doing, then you're a prude you know, it's this, yep. it's this prude slut. Um, totally. There's no, there's no happy medium. You can't win as a, as a woman or as a person who identifies as a woman. Like there's just, no. it's no. constant frustration. 
And it's this constant sort of Madonna horror thing, like you said. You, it's like the Madonna mm-hmm. horror complex, right? That it's like yeah. either you're like virginal and you aren't actually being sexually active, which makes you a prude, or you are sexual and then you're terrifying and then you're a threat. And so there's like you can't win either way. Um, I'd like to hear, and 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 like you, I also have only awesome, loving, supportive women in my life. <laughs> and that I do not allow anybody into my life who isn't going to be loving, supportive, and self-acceptance in acceptance of who I am and how I move in the world. But it's interesting, like you said, it's it took a long time to weed it out from micro to like full on in the shame and the slut shaming in particular. And, and it's interesting, like I just recently got rid of a friend who I had been friends with for like 20 years. And I didn't even realize how subtle, like the subtle, the subtle judgment, the subtle slut shaming, like well, I would never, so statements like, I would never do that. And, you know, I don't understand how you could do that. And it's like, it's, it's like, but you know, whatever floats your boat. So there's like the whole sort of like, I think what you do is not acceptable and not okay, but I'm going to hide behind, but whatever floats your boat. <laughs> we just, no, no, there's, Still no, some jealousy, judgment stuff going on in that that place, and it was absolutely a, only three years ago that I, you know, two years, two, three, two or three years ago that she was the last person in my wheelhouse that I was like, no, no, there's an icky feeling. I feel icky. I don't feel completely held up, loved and supported and encouraged. And, and I don't feel like you're feel envious or threatened. And I, you know, like that, that space around, we are just truly honest and, and supportive of our awesomeness. And we're here to support each other and build each other up, not tear each other down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that jealousy, like, I think jealousy is probably the most problematic and harmful emotion that can exist unchecked. And it often does, and it gets encouraged culturally, the bullying and shaming that happens. And it just turns people, people behave in such atrocious ways when they are jealous of someone. And we all look at someone who we deem or or view as beautiful or who has something that we would love to have, whether it's uh, money or a relationship or a specific body quality or whatever. I mean, we all do that because we are observant and categorizing and that's part of our humanity um, for us to process all of that, that we see and and what we want for ourselves, et cetera. But there's a way in which to do it that's healthy and a way in which to do it that's super harmful. And even seeing somebody else and beautiful and uplifting and being like, wow, oh my gosh, your arms look fucking rocking. You look stellar right now. Like good job. And that's, that's motivating me. One of my friends has been um, doing a whole lot of working out lately and just on this great fitness kick and her arms are looking banging. And I just said banging. And I just said that to her the other day. I was like, oh, I'm living vicariously through your motivation right now because I haven't been as motivated to be as physically active and 
Um, and, but she looks gorgeous and I love her and she's one of my dearest friends. And I don't feel jealousy in that way. Like, yes, would I like my arms to look like that, but I'm going to have to work for it. And I'm so glad that she is doing it and I'm proud of her and she's beautiful. And I'm like, this is my friend, you know, like I'm just <laughs> want to show her off as these are the humans that I surround myself with. But it's cool that you talk about that because I think, um, about breaking up with friends is really essentially what you're talking about that happened even a couple of years ago, because I've had to do it a few times and it sucks it's really hard and we don't have a lot of like support or resources around how that might look and why we might do that and why that's okay to do um to create those boundaries and how but it is it's just like any other breakup it's like a breakup with an intimate partner and we just don't focus or talk about that as much there's so much resources around when you break up with your partner if you have an intimate partner or partners but there's no support or very little around breaking up with a relationship that's not necessarily sexually intimate and um those friendships but Friendships are so important and part of our, our, our lives in, in such integral ways. But if we maintain these unhealthy friendships, they can become so harmful. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's not done very often or people just don't share it as often. And I think it's okay to do and you need to. And when you do, when you say no, I heard this is somebody else's like quote or idea, but I love it. When you say no to one thing, you're saying yes to something else. So having to oh, shut yeah. at that off and disconnect, you're opening up space and energy, your own energy and resources, because we are all limited with, with certain amounts of resources, time and energy for building um, and fostering these relationships because friendships, whether it's with women or men or et cetera, or any, or any um, gender, take time and effort for them to continue and be healthy. And, you know, they take work, all relationships do. So yeah, we're offer, we're, we're opening up opportunity for more relationships and more friendships and, and healthier ones, et cetera. But man, it, it's hard because some of those ones that I've had to do have been long, long-term relationships that I held yeah. on to because I felt like a sense of responsibility or duty. Like I had to keep being friends yeah. with these people and yeah. I allowed them to be cruel, those micro and macro aggressions, yeah. um, some really horrible things that I thought w- at, there was one aspect where I was dealing with my own shame and my yeah. own insecurity and lack of self-worth worth to where I tolerated and or felt like I deserved it for longer than I really should have. Um, and once I finally realized, like, wait a minute, this treatment is not okay. This is not how I want people. This is not how I want to treat others. And this is not how I, I deserve to be treated treated, nor does anyone else. Once I finally got to that point, then it's like, okay, I got to let these people go. But that was still hard. You know, like you still feel like I've been friends with this person for 10 or 15 or however many years. And you hate to do that. You share a lot of memories and history together. And they know you in a way that not necessarily a new friendship would, but you just gotta, it it has been so wonderful. And it helped me to feel more strong and clarity, you know, because it's like, okay, yeah, I don't deserve that. And that isn't okay. And if you don't get it and you think I'm the bitch because I'm not friends with you anymore, then so be it because my life is happier and healthier and supported. And yeah, but it is, that is not a constant among all, all people who identify as women. No, and I and I think it's so beautiful that you you know you leaned into that piece around like breaking up with a friend and and like if we're in an intimate relationship, and let's be honest, our friendships 
can be incredibly intimate. I mean, we may not be rolling around naked and having sex with them, but they, in some ways, some of those, especially those female-female relationships, can have even more level of intimacy than your partnership relationships can have. And, and those relationships affect us every day and how we see ourselves and how we view ourselves and and you know what work we're doing to better ourselves whether the our support around us is either cheering us on like you, you know you with your girlfriend who's like yeah you keep going girl with your arms versus like oh must be nice oh <laughs> you know blah, blah 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 that's not so everything that we have our own our own shit, our own emotional stuff going on that we're struggling with and moving through and our own motivators and all these kinds of things, our support team around us either helps us move forward or it keeps us squashed and keeps us down. And those relationships are crucial as who we, who we are. And breaking up, and like you said, breaking up and ending those relationships are incredibly grief there's a lot of grief that can that needs to happen and there's a lot of reprogramming and there's a lot of opening up to new possibilities but you know making sure that you don't choose this is the other piece is making sure that you don't choose the same relationship because just like intimate relationships and abusive behaviors and abusive patterns until we heal what our parts and what we play and all those pieces and heal that shit we just find another partner that's exactly the same as the last one so if you break up with one friend and you don't figure out what that is all about and whether or not your self-worth and your self-esteem and, and what part you play and why that really served you and all that kind of stuff. You don't figure that shit out. You're just going to attract another friends. It's just going to replace them with the exact same thing. So it's so important to like whatever kind of ending of relationships, family, friends, lovers, you know, that you always take that period of time of healing and doing that deeper work so that we don't call back in the same thing because I'm a firm believer that the universe keeps sending us that same person, that same personality type until we heal whatever that piece is. <laughs> Quicker you heal that. It's so true. Mm-hmm. The better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and that's true because it's so easy to point the finger and be like, they were horrible. They were cruel bitches, whatever. Um, And they very well might have been, but why were you initially drawn to that personality type? Is there something there to tease out um, in your psyche that is allowing those relationships in to begin with and or that may not be able to identify right away that there are, um, that it's a less than healthy relationship? Like what is that to, how are we contributing to our own um, unhealthy spaces and relationships? Because it, it is it is multiple reciprocal or the, or, um, the responsibility is not just on the person with the bad behavior, the overt, like outward bad behavior. There's something yeah. there. Yes. That's, that's within us too. And it's really interesting. You said that because it just dawned on me. I don't know. I, I guess I put it together really as you were talking, but some of those big breakups that I've had over the years and they all happened in different timing. And it took me 
um, years and years for some, and some were quicker than others. And I was able to identify based on whether the aggression was micro or macro and very, very overt and obvious and, or whether it was like small over time. And it took me a while to identify it, but pretty much almost all of those relationships that I've had to have like a breakup with that friendship, all started right around that same time in my late teens, early twenties, right after I was originally diagnosed with an STI. And so I think I held on to them and even had those relationships because it was a projection reflection of how I was feeling internally, which was a lack of, um, a lack of worthiness. Hold on, you froze. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) We got tech issues. All right. Uh, well, you have, and now it's easy for me to pick out. It took years. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to pause for a sec. Okay. So just to cover you, you're basically saying after you uh, got diagnosed with your STI and that you kept them for a while because you felt that your worthiness was that you deserved this behavior. Go. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Like I really felt that that treatment was something that I had. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's the easiest way to say it, that I really deserve that. And that was the best that I would receive from others because of my status and because that's who I was. So I really was embodying the stigma and, um, and felt like that was now my new identity. And so it's interesting because it took me years to really break up with some of those people. But in that time and throughout that space, I then acquired longer, like all of my closest circle of friends I've had for at least 10, 15 years now, but that took time to replace one with another and, you know, just as naturally organic relationships um, progress. So yeah, it took me a really long time to get to that point, but I realized that it was also a product of how I was feeling and what I was going through, why I was surrounding myself with people who were not uplifting, who did not want to see me succeed, who didn't want to see me happy and just thriving. It was, um, you know, I was choosing Using that inadvertently and subconsciously. And so now that I'm aware of that, it's, it's great because I can share kind of that experience with others. And it's easy for me to see when I see other people being treated horribly. And even, even, sit, even though now I'm in a place where all of my um, friends and support network are really amazing and these are long-term, long relationships, these things still surface. They still come about with different people and relationships, but I'm, I'm, I'm able to feel them a lot quicker and I'm able to identify and realize like nope that's just somebody being cruel and being a mean girl and unfortunately it's a product of them also not feeling good about themselves usually that jealousy and that cruelty that shaming that slut shaming and that bullying is all a result of people who don't feel secure in their own skin because they haven't had that kind of support and so yeah, it's cyclical. It continues. It, it continues that behavior. And that's, that's part of why it continues to exist. And especially you made a good point about how intimate 
female relationships can be. One, because women are encouraged to express our emotions. And I think the other dynamic too is that no one relationship, whether you're monogamous, uh, polyam, regardless, no, no even couple of relationships can fulfill all, all of your needs and all of that dynamic. Each relationship serves its own purpose. And so those friendships are great because you may have a different kind of bond and different kind of intimacy that you're sharing. And they become very deep and ingrained in these relationships. These people end up knowing so much about us, but if they're harmful, then that can really be turned into such a horrible, um, toxic dynamic. You know, it's just like all you want to see is people healing and moving forward. And that to me has helped that to feel like it's not personal is to know that these people, even though it's not an excuse and I'm not going to accept it in my life, in my space, I can recognize that the reason people behave in this way is because they're hurting inside too. And they don't have that support and they don't have that, um, that rich diversity of relationships and support system, but it doesn't have to be me to give it to them. That's not my job to heal all people. You know, they have to yeah. do the inner work themselves. So that leads me, I really want to talk about on a historical level. Um, so I've been really diving, and this is where I get all, you know, nerdy. Um, so I've been really diving into this whole construct of, okay, so historically, historically, as women, we only had three options. Once, patri once patriarchy took over, we had three options for any kind of power. We could be a nun. We could be a wife or we could be a whore and a prostitute. So we had three options for survival. And that's based on pure, pure survival. And because of that, we, have pro we are moving from this place of our status, our power, our survival is based on who we can attract. So this piece around attraction and competition Diet is so deeply ingrained on a cellular DNA level passed on from generation after generation after generation that we don't even understand as women why a woman walking into the room and we find her attractive that immediately we feel this place of jealousy, competition, and fear because we have been programmed to see her as a threat because if she attracts the ideal mate, in the room, that might mean the difference between you having a roof over your head, like historically, having a roof over your head, being on the streets or and eating. And so there's this deep, deep, deep rooted from that, that place. And we don't even understand it. And I remember the first time that um, I was in, so I went to school and I was in a feminist-based program. And I remember the first day, which was really bizarre for me because I was a tomboy and I had all these horrible experiences with women. And yet I was like, I was holding on that there was hope. So anyway, so I ended up in this all feminist based women program school called working with uh, um, advocacy and working with abused women. And so I'm sitting in this school, it's 80 women. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? I've entered what this would be my living hell that I, for the next two years, I'm surrounded with only women. And this, what have I done to myself? So I'm sitting there thinking, this was a bad choice. This was a really bad choice. So somebody raises their hand and says, I noticed that there's no men in the program. Why is that? Men can be feminists too. 
And the dean of the program said, yes, men could be feminists, but if men were here, you guys wouldn't be feminists. You women wouldn't be able to be feminists if there were men in this, in this program. And I was like, what? <laughs> and most of us were like, what? And so she explained this construct to me, uh, to all of us. And she said, when a man walks in a room, because of this programming that I was just talking about, the survival programming of, you know, um, that all of a sudden we then start to tear each other apart because a man is in the, in the room. Not because he's demanded it, not because all of a sudden, but we will not be able to work through and heal our sisterhood wombs and our women's wombs and work together if a man is in this program. And I remember thinking, that's, there's no way that that's true. And yet, I spent the next eight years examining, examining this epically on how no matter what sexual orientation, no matter what relationship status, no matter what, when a man would walk into a room of women who were not aware of this construct, immediately their behaviors would change. They'd start twirling their hair, they start vying for attention from that man, they would start putting each other down, they would start doing these jabs, and I was like, whoa! And I watched this happen over and over and over and over and over again. So that, I think, is so fascinating in the piece around why, as women, we do this. We've been programmed to do this out of a place of survival. It's not actually so much about we're sadists, we're mean, we're evil, we're horrible human beings, or it's really coming from this place of survival. Yeah, yeah, that's profound. It's the it's just a a vying for resources and a scarcity mindset um, that there aren't enough resources for all of us. The idea that if we see one woman being amazingly successful and happy and beautiful, that somehow that means a lack on our behalf and that we can't also, it really should be a motivator. Like, wow, if that person, um, is at that place, I can get there too. And it's the other way around. Usually it looks, it feels more competitive and, um, and it feels like that's an indicator of our inability to do that or that because that person already has that and has achieved whatever it is, status, um, et cetera, then we're not going to get there, which should be the opposite. But it's so, I had never thought about it in the way that you just described. I think that that's really because how simplistic, but it makes so much sense how that is carried with us. And that's ingrained in our DNA, the, the nun, the wife, or the whore, and all of those things, all three of them are primary um, and are related to our sexuality. You either aren't having sex at all, you're either having very specific sex in the intention of making and procreating and having a family and only with one partner or you're having sex with everyone and so the competition across those three ideals is also still present in our current culture and society and i really feel like the work that you and i are doing and all other sexual health educators is part and parcel to healing the sisterhood wound is that empowerment around our sexuality 
the openness that we are all sexual beings and everyone is going to express that in a myriad of different ways and none of that's wrong as long as it's informed and consensual and yeah. etc if we can empower all women to feel that way all people but of course because we're talking specifically about these um, women to women relationships but if we can I feel like that will change the course of this in, in immensely that in and of itself by itself and think there's more additional layers that you know we've teased some of those out already but I think that that would be paramount because the people that I meet like you like other sexual health educators who are really comfortable in their bodies in their sexuality in their identities and how they express themselves from a sexual aspect as well as all aspects but specifically when we're talking about human sexuality those people i right away i bond with them and i can see that there is no competition there is no worry about am i better looking than them am i um what do i have something that's different than them etc like powerful, successful people. And there's just this immediate mutual respect and support. And I see that across that sexual health space more than in any other different um, kind of like um, space or, or area in which that I've, that I've been in. And I've, you know, I've been in accounting and in the corporate world and, you know, myriad of different education, et cetera. Um, but that is in that arena, I see that the most where people are just, yeah, you go girl, you look badass, you look sexy as hell, like all of that, where you just don't see that as much. And I think it's because those people have done the work, those women have done the work to overcome their shame and their sexual, um, and to really feel empowered around their, their sexuality. And I think that that goes a long way toward healing this. I mean, if we're trying to find solutions, I think that's one of it. (laughs) Yeah. One of them. I would, I would, I concur completely. Like as we lean into our empower, because the thing is, is that each one of those things, part of patriarchy was to take away our sexual empowerment. That was the key ingredient in order for patriarchy to be successful. So that is where it lives in our wounds, is in the empowerment around our sexuality, who we are as a sexual being. And and then also our survival being based around our sexuality at the same time. So there's like two layers to that. There's the whole take away your sexual empowerment and then make you only, the only power you get to have is your ability to manipulate with your sexual power. And so there's, there's, it's, so that's why we've been still struggling. That's why we're still in the place that we're in. That's why we're still struggling with all of these things. But I believe you 100% when we heal our, our sexuality, our relationships with our bodies, then we can, it's easier to walk into a room and not feel that place of my survival depends on who finds me attractive and who I get to capture with my vagina. It it changes Mm -hmm. the dynamic because I'm now in in this place of empowerment, not from a place of I need to manipulate others to get my needs met using my sexuality. Instead, it's like my sexuality is who I am and it's a part of who I am. It changes the, the power structure and it changes the way in which we move with our sexuality. And then we aren't in competition be like hey you're sexy and i'm sexy and you're sexy and we're all sexy let's all be sexy together (laughs) okay 
good. Whatever floats your boat. And you really need it, whatever floats your boat. Like there's plenty. Like you said, that scarcity. I love that. When we we're not moving from a place of scarcity, there's lots of abundance. There's lots of possibilities. There's lots of arousal and pleasure to go around for everyone. Then we don't feel like, oh, you have it means that you're taking it away from me, which means I need to be angry and now I need to take it from you. It's not. It's like, here's some for you and here's some for you and here's some for you. We all get it. And I like too how we put the power back in the hands of the women who have experienced um, the patriarchy because a lot of times I think there's not an over-focus necessarily because yes, a lot of this is caused by patriarchal um, structures. However, if we try and then say that it's on behalf of men to fix it, it's never going to get fixed, like bless their hearts, but it's just not going to happen because it doesn't serve them. There is no benefit to them to reorganize that power structure and that dynamic. I mean, it's the idea of um, why it's so hard for for yes, it it is on behalf of white people to heal racism and make reparations, but that's why it's been such a struggle because it doesn't serve white people because they benefit from racism and the power structures that are in place. So the same holds true when we're talking about male, female, and the patriarchy. And so if we also can say, actually, we have the power to heal this to a, to a large extent within ourselves and within our own female communities um, by being, embodying our sexuality and healing our um, sexual identity and trauma around that and, and misidentification or just feeling um, not comfortable in our own skin and in our bodies and etc. Having that autonomy, I think, is great because we take that back and we say, no, we can do something about this. We don't have to put the blame and assuage the responsibility. There is a responsibility amongst us and we can do this. And the result is so transformative. It's so beautiful to have these relationships and these supportive females around you. It is absolutely crucial, I think. And and it just bodes for some amazing opportunity and life experience that I want everyone to feel. But I hear so often, kind of like you've described, women who are like, oh, I don't have any women friends, or I only you know, hang around with men, or um, I'm a tomboy, however it is that they describe it. And that says to me one of two things, either um, they haven't healed their, their massive wounds and shame and identity around that. And they, they are some of the bullies because they can't and haven't figured out or haven't been able to move through and find a way in which to have those relationships and, or, um, and maybe both, they've also been the product of very harmful female relationships that have been toxic and then have, and that have shamed them and harmed them, et cetera. And it may be both, it may be one or the other, but usually it's something along those lines. And that's just a shame because there's so much to gain from those relationships when we stop competing, when we collaborate and celebrate over competition with one another, over competing with one another. I totally agree. I mean, one of the things that I always do when I start having this conversation is I always want to, so how do we change this? So one, we talked about good solution, heal your sexuality. Embrace who you are as a sexual being, doing it ethically, self-acceptance, unconditional love and acceptance, embrace all that. 
Secondary is how do we change the dynamic in the relationships when we see it happening in a group dynamic? So one of the things that I have found has been very helpful is that when I'm in a group dynamic with a bunch of women and I start to see the dynamic starting to turn into what we've talked about, I always say, did you know, and so this is where I do a history lesson. <laughs> Did you know that it wasn't long ago that we were only allowed to be prostitutes, nuns, or wives, and that we were competing for survival? And, and, and a lot of women are like, oh, no, I haven't really thought about it that way. And I'm like, and do you know how that's translated into what's going on, you know, with our relationships and our group dynamics where we're, we're fighting with each other, we're tearing each other down? And then all of a sudden, it's like this beautiful light bulb. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what group dynamic. There's this beautiful light bulb that I see all the women's like bling, 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 bling going on. And they start to realize that they were, that's what was happening right there. In that moment, that was what was happening. And all of a sudden, that's exactly it. everybody changes from like, oh, I don't need to be catty and tear you down. And I don't need to be jealous and envious of you. And I don't need to be blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And wow, I was having some insecurity right now. And, and so when it starts happening is that women dynamic will change from let's tear each other down to being like, wow, I'm really struggling. So all of a sudden the, di the conversation changes from like, I'm really struggling and not feeling good enough these days. That's what ends up being said. And the women around them can be like, oh, you're so fabulous. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what can we do? Blah, blah, blah. We can build each other up. All because we just had a little bit of understanding of what was playing itself out and not contributing. Yes. Right? And I don't and What you just pointed out too is vulnerability. Like that conversation that 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 communication the words that were said the the i've been feeling a little bit i can't remember exactly what you not just said the, i've been not good enough lately yeah like that immediately opens ourselves up to com connection and intimacy and then you are you're creating that opportunity for everyone to come in and support and uplift and but we have to be vulnerable to begin with to get there you know and once we realize that our reticence to that vulnerability our culture in general is not supportive of vulnerability and of taking risks and um, et cetera. And so vulnerability is in and of itself a risk. But when we do that, when we allow vulnerability in, then we allow so much else to happen. And, and that's how we have those true connections. But we can't be vulnerable unless you have that understanding of what's limiting your vulnerability to begin with. So that is, I think that's paramount. I do the same thing. Like I ask questions usually like, what is a slut? And like, you know, like, when did you first learn that term? It's so curious to me. I've always wondered, like, where did I first hear it? And what's the real definition? And when you start asking people to define some of the things that just kind of they spew out of their mouths around people and these judgments or these stereotypes, and all of a sudden you have to define these things and then they get confused and then they start to, they do the same thing. They light bulb, they process and they realize like, um, maybe that doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> maybe that isn't very helpful and isn't really representative of what's going on. And let's use some different language here. Yeah. Love it. I love that too. I love the, yes, the question, asking questions is the, best way, best way to change the narrative of the situation. <laughs> Start asking, so why do you think that blah, blah, blah? <laughs> right. 
Exactly. Because you can't tell somebody what they no. shouldn't believe or why they no. should change because until they feel that way. So their questions happen, it, then it becomes their own idea, their own yeah. aha. You know, they feel like they figured that out on their own. And it's like, te- technically they did with, with the help of your assistance and your encouraging that train of thought to go in that specific direction. So yeah, I mean, we can facilitate that. I think having learned that and experienced it and experienced the bad side and what can happen with these toxic female relationships and how women can be so cruel to one another. And then having come out and still, ha- as long as we are in that supportive space, then I I feel comfortable and everyone is going to feel differently about this depending on where they're at, but I feel comfortable helping to continue that and perpetuate that idea and that um, those healthy relationships and showing people how they can, how to model or or being one example of how they can exist. So, and that's, I think it's just going to take slowly over time, each of those individual relationships and conversations and all of that creates change. It's just Mm -hmm. slower and not as big as a giant campaign or screw the patriarchy and topple it all down. And yes, I mean, that'd be great too, but that's, it probably is not going to happen in that kind of way at this point in time. And so we can make those changes within ourselves and within our communication and our conversations. Yes. And one other thing that I, I want to lovingly invite all of our listeners, everybody who's listening and everybody who's hanging out with us is that one other thing you can do is go compliment a woman. The minute you feel that, that threat right? That threat of like, oh my God, I can't believe she's wearing that. And whoa, what a slut she is. Like when you are feeling that feeling of feeling threatened by that woman, two things you can do by just going over to her and saying, I really love your hair or your outfit is fabulous. Or, you know, you have such a great, you know, whatever, right? I love your air about you, whatever. You're so energy, Mm -hmm. your energy, like whatever it is by saying that one thing you've done, what you've done is you've shattered the pattern. You've shattered the pattern of being, feeling, uh, you know, less than and feeling in that place of competition of tearing down another woman. What you've done is said, she can have it and I can have it and we can all have it. So we move from that place of scarcity, which is how, which is what is facilitating the fear that's acting this behavior of abusive behavior of lashing out, attacking all these things. So we can change that by just doing one thing, even if internally we're like, ah, we hate her. (laughs) It's okay. If you're feeling that way, still go over and say one nice thing that you you that you can see about her and it will change internally that you will no longer hate her because she will no longer be your competition because the reality is she isn't your competition there isn't a place of we are not in competition with each other we have actually I should rephrase that there are still places in the world where survival is dependent on your sexuality and what, whether you can get married or whether or not you can get a John or, you know, a, you know, a gig or all of those things. So I don't want to belittle anybody who happens to be living in that part of the world where that is still the case. Um, and also if we're in an economic situation where we're in a place of poverty, we still be, be moving that way because who we 
partner up with may be the difference between us being on the streets or not being on the streets. So I wanna acknowledge that if you're in that place, that it's a different scenario. For the rest of us who are not in that place, this is what I lovingly invite you to do, is to stop moving from that place of competition because you actually don't need to be in competition with each other and go and give that woman a really wonderful compliment. She will feel wonderful and no longer will heal her wounds that women are bitches. And you don't have to be like, she's a whore. And you get to heal your shit. She gets to heal her shit. All because we've changed the dynamic by just saying, hey, I love your hair. It's really pretty. Have a nice day. Yes. Have a nice day. Exactly. Exactly. And it can be, even if you can't necessarily compliment on something visual, like you said, that I love your energy talking about and giving a compliment that is not related to our appearance is powerful too, because there's so much hyper emphasis on our appearance on such an ongoing basis that it's exhausting. So hearing something like that kind of that in and of itself, um, it takes you out of your, out of your space or out of, out of where you're at and kind of sets, sets it apart. Like you just think about that. Like, what is it that they just know? I love your energy. Like, what was I doing? Like, what did I do that made them feel like that way that I just walked in this room and they loved that. And it, it does, it, it's like, it'll pull that compliment apart too. I think even in separate it, that it's not always about how we are presenting ourselves to the world. I think that's powerful too, but all of it is, all of it's important. Mm-hmm. And the measure of whether or not you're a crap person is not if you think something crappy. It's what you do with that crappy thought. We all have some shitty opinions sometimes and we all yes. think some crappy things and judgmental and whatever. We all do it, but it's how we process, how we deliver what we do with that crappy thought. And it's sometimes we just screw up and make mistakes and, and switching it, fixing it. And correcting it is huge. And that's the indicator of whether you're junk or not. If you're willing to do that work, if you're willing to stop and pause, if you're willing to try something else or to admit that maybe in the past, yes, you were a mean girl. Like we've all done and had moments of that. Um, So I don't think anybody, like just because we've both experienced this and kind of moved past it, it doesn't mean we haven't also done our fair share of just being cruel at some point in time or even thinking something really awful or judgmental about someone else. And it's how you then decide like, wait a minute, that's not how I want to feel and that's not what I want to do or that's not the energy I want to perpetuate. So yeah, I'm going to stop and pause and go tell this person that I think they're awesome and they look rocking and I love their look, whatever it is, their earrings, their, their energy, their style, their so on and so forth. Think of something creative that resonates with you and is authentic to you and then go with it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Yay. All right. So what's one thing that you wish you had known when you were young, when you were young that you know now? Hmm. Oh, these questions are so tough. I'm so not witty either. And on the, on the thinking on the spot. Um, I don't know if this is the one, but the thing that comes to mind, um, a couple of years ago, I sit on the couple of the different hats that I wear, like I'm a spokesperson for positive singles. And I sit on the board of the national coalition for sexual health. And we were doing as a result of one of those roles, we were doing, 
um, a privilege, and I, uh, I do this now in the course that I teach too, but we're doing a privilege wheel and talking about the different privileges that we enjoy and everybody enjoys some and then doesn't enjoy others. And everyone has a different amount of privilege, how they walk through this world. And one of the things that was pointed out to me that wasn't actually on the wheel, we were adding some additional things that weren't considered. And somebody looked at me and said, you have pretty privilege. And it's interesting because I agreed and understood where they were coming from at the time, because this was from a person who was non-binary and didn't traditionally kind of pass in the world as an, as a good looking person. And that pretty privilege doesn't mean that I'm a model or that you have to be um, the most beautiful person in the world, but basically it culturally, do you fit in and do you, are you fit relatively attractive based on the culture? And that in and of itself gives you some privilege. And, um, but interestingly enough, I, it's, it's gone both ways and this in privilege can depending on, depending on the experience, the environment. And, I was very much sexualized from, from a very young age. I was called a sex pot. I had breasts really early in fourth grade. I started getting boobs and, um, and was teased around that. And if I would have just been able to look at it as a benefit and know that there are going to be, that's going to be utilized as a weapon, but I can also use it as a tool. Um, I wish I would have known that in that kind of perspective. I wish I would have been taught that I, my body and my everything is going to be used against me as well as I can use it to my advantage. And the more that I use it to my advantage and the more I've learned that, um, the less I am bothered by the people who try to weaponize my sexuality and my, my appearance in particular. So yeah, I mean, that's complex, but if I would have, I would have loved more education around my sexuality and my appearance and, and how I walk through this world in a way that was empowering and not shaming. Mm. And that's beautiful. What's one thing for you? <laughs> Just even thinking about beauty privilege. So yes, I, I very much also had beauty privilege, but I realized I had beauty privilege when I was... 15. When I was 15, I was like, whoa, I have beauty privilege. I don't think I really, really, truly embraced it or understood it until I lost my beauty privilege when I was in a car accident. And then I gained a bunch of weight. And then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, all this privilege was gone. Like how I got served at the bar quicker than everybody else, how everybody got out of the way for me, how like there was just, you know, everybody was like, what, what can I do to make you happy? Like there was all this privilege just because of, you know, how beautiful I looked. And then I realized that that beauty privilege actually had nothing to do with my physical appearance and it had to do about how I felt about myself. So that was a beautiful conversation that we can have another time. Anyways, all right, back to, I just got me sidetracked. <laughs> so back to, what's the one thing I would have told myself that I know now? I would have lovingly, I, the one thing that I've learned around sexuality is that when I've embraced and I have embraced who I am as a sexual being and own it completely, I don't actually am not on the receiving end of all of this like attack as much. So I would have taught, I wish I had known that I could lovingly invite others to embrace their sexuality. So when there was that attacking of my sexuality to be like, you can have this too. How to show you how to have this too. You can have this too. 
you don't need to be upset about this. You can have this too. So moving from that scarcity place to being like, you can have it and I can have it and we can all have it. Like I, that's the thing that I wish I, I, that I know now that I wish I could have had when I was a teenager of, I would have been able to navigate things much different and much easier if I had moved from that place of like, hey, we don't need to be in scarcity mode. <laughs> you don't have to see me as a threat. I'm not a threat. Right, right. And those who don't get that, no matter how much um, we help and invite uh, a way, a different way of viewing things, like it's also, that's probably the bigger one that's really specifically related to uh, this conversation is that it's okay to let go of people. It's okay to break up with people and it's okay to create boundaries and say that this is not serving me. And this is probably then not serving you either. So it's probably better for both of us if we are not engaging. And like you said earlier, and I forgot to tease that out of touch or just mention it, but we can, you can grieve the loss of those relationships. And that is a real legitimate, um, process that that you go through when you do lose some of these relationships that were very important and powerful and um, that you've had for a long period of time but it's okay to get rid of them I mean to know that you don't have to hold on to everyone you don't have to hold on to every Facebook friend every random acquaintance from school high school college etc and if they are not making you feel good if it doesn't if what they're posting if everything what they're doing and saying doesn't feel good then bye <laughs> there's so many more people in the world that is not we're not scarce on potential for relationships and connection and um, there is abundance all around us and so make those decisions and feel good about it and don't feel that pressure around having to keep these people in, in your life if they're not if you've tried and done you know whatever you feel is your due diligence and that can look different for every person you know and how much you're willing to invite them into a different perspective is going to differ based on that relationship dynamic you may be more patient and may give them more tries and sometimes the more tries you give that they just keep returning back in the same way and showing up in the same way that they always have and then that's a big indicator like okay bye there's the door bye felicia <laughs> yeah and i one thing i want to leave our audience with around that is for for because some of us may not understand the like until we're out of those dynamics and those relationships we may not understand or even understand that they are abusive that they're toxic that they don't serve us because it's what we've grown up with it's what we've been when it's what we believe we're worthy like all of those pieces right like so one thing i can't remember who said this to me but it was profound the, the, what they said to me was profound obviously not who told me it but anyways <laughs> i was like okay they said, when you spend time with somebody, do you feel excited and alive or do you feel depleted and icky? And I remember being like, that's my indicator. When I'm spending time with people, do I feel like just, just energized and excited and my mind was inspired, like all these things. Do I feel good? This is a feeling that's good. Or do I feel like my body wants to go like this and I feel really tired and I want to have a nap and I feel drained and I feel, you know, I don't feel good. If that's the case, then that person is energetically soul sucking. It's toxic. It's not healthy. That would be a good indicator. Maybe that relationship should 
how we should have the opportunity for it to change conversation or we break up with that person. <laughs> So exactly. I just want, that's exactly I just, it. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to leave that for everybody who, you know, isn't necessarily at that place yet of, of being able to identify, you know, that is this toxic or not toxic. So yeah, if you feel like crap, it's toxic. If you feel good. It's not toxic. <laughs> it's a great tool. It sounds simple, but we don't usually assess afterward after spending time with somebody we don't pause for for most things we don't pause and assess and look back and consider and so that's a great wonderful way in which to say is this a healthy and beneficial relationship and um yeah if you feel icky then it's probably icky, it's mm -hmm. probably icky. your body knows mm -hmm. so what how can people spend more time with you Yes. Yeah, so I'm online on all social media and my website, the website is the stiproject.com. And then I'm at the STI project on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, etc. So find me anywhere that you engage in media. Beautiful. And all of, all of her wonderful links and all those pieces will be in the show notes. And um, thanks for being, thanks for having this conversation. Like this was a good conversation. We went way over time because we were so enthrilled in this conversation. <laughs> That's okay uh, though. It's big. It impacts so many folks. So I think it's important to, it's important to to talk about this regularly. Yeah. Um, so thanks for being on the show. I look forward to our next conversation in the fall. We're going to talk about SDIs. Um, and thanks. And to all the audience who's listening, you know the deal, but in case you don't, you can find me and all the social media platforms under Gaia Morissette or Empress Gaia. For all your sexual wellness needs, you can find me at succulentliving.com. All your BDSM education and wellness needs, you can find me at empressgaia.com. And don't forget to follow the podcast, My Orgasmic Life, that can be found on all of your uh podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, all the places. All right. Until next time, have a juicy day and uh, I'll see you later. Bye-bye.